0: Um, As I told you in the beginning, we continue with the Easter story. This morning, we hear um, the story uh, that I just, uh, the telling that I just told the the kids are up front here about Jesus's encounter with Thomas. What we're told before this is that, um, well, let's start. Let's start where we begin. The kids only heard the the later part of the story, but let's begin in verse um, 19 of chapter 20. So Mary has encountered the risen Lord, and we're told when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And and then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of his nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, Jesus' disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet come to believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, we give you thanks for this continuing uh, resurrection story. For Jesus is continually appearing, not just in the disciples of those days' lives, but in our lives. So open us. Open us to your word for us this morning about uh, new life and our whole selves. Amen. So here we are, one day past the midpoint of April, and Major League Baseball season is well underway. Just an update for you this morning, both the Pirates and the Guardians are 9-6 and on the season, that's not too bad. Um, My favorite player from last year on the Guardians, Oscar Gonzalez, you're asking, how's he doing? You're not asking that, you don't even know who he is. Rookie, great season last year. And you know where he's been this year? On the bench, right? He was benched last few days. He's had to, um, been a pinch runner. Leave that there though. Um, He's on the bench. He's been moved off the starting lineup because he was batting 147. If you don't know baseball, that's not good, right? But he was great last year, right? Sports people. You know a team a player. They were great last year, but last year doesn't matter. Every form of competition by its very nature, it's competition has winners and losers, has people that get a break and others that end up on the bench, whether it's sports or a show, a a baking show, a dating show, a singing show, a design show. One day you're in, and the next day you're out. That was my Heidi Klum imitation, by the way. Um, Now, some failed competitors make remarkable comebacks. They rise from the ashes and become like phoenixes with uh, wonderful redemption stories. There are other, and I'm particularly speaking about sports here, there are other uh, who seem to be forever marked by their one error, their one mistake. Think Scott Norwood's missed field goal in the 1991 Bills' first Super Bowl appearance. Or don't, think about it. Or Jose Mesa blowing the save in the seventh game of the Cleveland's 1997 World Series appearance. It's killing you all, right? These are players, I mean, there is a list of them. There are players who are marked. I mean, we could, we, could, we could really do this this morning, just list them. They're really marked. They may have had fabulous careers, but somebody remembers somebody. That one play. Now, you see, I was thinking about this, and there is a tie-in here to Thomas. I am going to Scripture, don't worry. Thomas. It's almost impossible to talk about Thomas as an apostle without adding doubting. That's how we know who we're talking about, doubting Thomas. But there was way much more to Thomas than that. In the Gospel of John, so this is the Gospel writer John tells us the most about Thomas. In the Gospel of John, we hear earlier that Jesus is talking about going to um, Lazarus. So Lazarus has died. Um, he's been told this, and uh, well, he's, he's been told he's sick, and they're going to go. Um, the other disciples are saying, Jesus, you shouldn't go. You know that there's people there in Judea that are trying to stone you, um, but not Thomas. That's not what Thomas says. Thomas says, let's all go, because if he dies, we'll die with him. That doesn't sound like doubt to me. Then in John 14, Jesus explained that he's going to go ahead, he's going to prepare a place for them, that when their time comes, that they'll be with him in their heavenly home. And in response to this, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way? That doesn't sound like doubt to me. It sounds to me like an inquiry, like curiosity, like I want to know more Jesus, and then these last words you just heard from Thomas, my Lord and my God, those are not words of doubt. No, Thomas labeled the doubter. It was like all of the disciples, like all of us, a complicated, multifaceted person, faithful and feeble, strong and skeptical, Um. I like the description, which gave way to the sermon title. When, when um, John writing about this says, but Thomas, who is called the twin, and then just said, one of the 12, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. There is no indication whatsoever that Thomas had chosen not to be there or that anything nefarious was going on. It just turned out on that night, Thomas wasn't there. And because he missed this encounter with this risen Lord, he doubted it. We would too, I bet. I bet a lot of us would. I bet I would have. If the disciples, if my friends, if my colleagues had come to me and said, you are not going to believe this, Jesus rose from the dead, I'd be like, you're right. I am not going to believe it, not until I see him. What Thomas wanted was probably what all of them wanted and had already had. Proof that Jesus was alive. Just shows, really, his question really just shows that Thomas was, in fact, one of the 12. As human, as faithful, as wondering as the rest of them. Thomas, one of the 12. Peter, one of the 12. Judas, one of the 12. There's like a whole... A uh, Sermon series just on Judas that we will have to set aside for this morning. In a world where it is very easy to define another by a mistake, by an error, or even by those of others, we need to take this scripture quite seriously. Thinking back, 9 11, following that, uh, the immediate, it felt like almost the immediate response of the whole American culture was all Muslims are terrorists. All Mexicans are drug dealers. The list goes on about horrible stereotypes that we label all of one um, nationality or one racial or one religious group because of the actions of a few. We don't take into the particulars of individuals and of their stories. We are invited all the time, every week, every day, to see like Jesus sees, to see individuals, each as their own person, multifaceted, Faults and strengths, gifts and graces, and, and ourselves, hmm and ourselves to see ourselves, to love ourselves as one of the twelve. With our doubts, like Thomas, with our faults, with our failures, still loved and forgiven, whole in the love of God made known in this one Jesus, I have often preached on this uh, story from Thomas and I've often preached on something that I continue to hold as to be such an important truth for our faith is that when Thomas expressed doubt, Jesus didn't turn him away, right? I think that is so important, especially for persons that may have been grown up in a faith tradition where it was, you just believe, you don't ask questions. What you're taught, you accept, even if it makes no sense. Don't ask questions because questioning is a sin. That's not what this sounds like to me. The story of Thomas here sounds like, like the sin part would be if, if, if Thomas couldn't accept the, the reality of Jesus after proven. If, if, if Thomas doubted but couldn't accept the evidence. Jesus heard of Thomas's unbelief. He obviously knows this. Either one of the other disciples told Jesus or Jesus just knew. And his first words coming in with Thomas there is, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Wasn't like, hey, where's that guy? Where's that doubter here? And why is he here? There was no condemnation. No condemnation at all. In fact, what what Jesus does is kind of reach out and says, Thomas, come here. Come here, put your, put your fingers in my hands and your hand in my side. I, I want you to believe. I want you to believe. You don't have to doubt anymore. You don't have to doubt anymore. I'm going to be with you. Thomas' response, so simple, so profound. My Lord and my God. Jesus loved and accepted Thomas just as he was. He wanted more for him, right? He wanted him to believe. That's why he invited him into the story. But he desired for Thomas to trust in the resurrection so that Thomas could go on into a life of faithful service. I do believe that's what Jesus wants for us too, to to believe. And to live out lives of faith. And if we doubt along the way, he's like, bring it on. Because I can answer all your questions, says Jesus, and solve all your doubt. To know that we are loved and accepted and forgiven just as we are, I think, is what enables us to go forward in faith as one of the twelve.